PFL is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Tennessee ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest easiest way to get into the game you can get uh in-app panoramic seat photos from every section so you know hey this is where i'm sitting and this is where my view is so if there's a giant pole in front of you you will find that out before you hit purchase so you know you're not going to get into the stadium and be disappointed there's tickets across every major league every team uh, whatever you want to go game time can take you there it's a simple quick app easy to navigate two tap checkout that's always nice if you need to buy them in a hurry. And, of course, there's sports tickets, but you can also get tickets to music, concerts, uh, theater, whatever you want to find, Game Time can take you there. So head to the App Store, the Play Now Store, or go download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Hello again and welcome to this week's episode of PFL Pod for Life, your Tennessee podcast with The Athletic. Uh, If you like the show, rate, review, subscribe, whatever you got to do on your podcast purveyor of choice, it always helps the show. As always, even without a game to react to, talk about, there's always plenty going on on Rocky Top. My co-host is always Joe Rexrow. Joe, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, David. And I will see, you know, I still, no Vols this weekend, no Titans this weekend, but I did spend my Saturday watching Vanderbilt football lose 38-14 to Kentucky after being up 14-3. to And then I went and watched the Nashville Predators give up a touchdown to the Chicago Blackhawks. So Vols fans better hope I'm not bringing that uh, karma with me to Columbia, Missouri this weekend. <laughs> Well, Joe, all those guys got a lot of really good exercise, and that's what's important in all of this, I think. So that's good to know. <laughs> There's always a positive. Exactly. Think of their cardio rates. Uh, a lot of hearts got better yesterday. Uh, so, you know, Joe, uh, on The Athletic this morning, uh, folks can read uh, a story about uh, eight pretty big numbers that I think explain – what the heck has happened to Tennessee? Uh, I studied a bunch of numbers um, over the weekend. I uh, got a bunch of data from uh, Sports Info Solutions, who any athletic reader knows we use quite a bit. Learned a lot. Whoever reads that piece will as well. Joe, what, what, what did you think when you saw that Tennessee, in the second halves of these uh, SEC wins, has basically put up defensive numbers that are comparable to the Ohio States, the Clemsons, uh, the Wisconsins of the world. Basically a nationally elite defense. These are surprising numbers. These are impressive numbers. I have Coit in South Carolina and Alabama with Mac Jones and Kentucky unable to throw the football. So there, there's, you know, I mean, there are some underlying reasons here when you get to opponents. That said, it's this is still, when you think back to just like, anything we talk about with the Vols. You go back to September, and it's just like there's no way this should be happening. And, I mean, look, you, watch, you look on the field, and there are some things going on out there that 
you know, or easy to see massive progress. And, and so these numbers back them up more than I would have guessed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, too, you know, uh, the one thing that I, I, I had kind of suspected recently and that we hadn't really been talked about a lot is, you know, people made a big deal about the bust at the end of BYU, rightfully so. It, it uh, as I've written about, I don't know that it's fair to say it decided the game, but it uh, had a profound impact on the outcome, I would say. Uh, obviously, the South Carolina game, they rebounded from that, but that was it. But Tennessee, uh, only eight plays longer than 30 yards they've given up all season long. That's second nationally behind Ohio State. The amount, the lack of busts that this team has had, and especially when you consider some of the tackling issues early in the season, uh, they just have not been giving up the knockout punches. It's been sort of a, uh, you know, we're not going to give you much, but you better take what you can take or take what you can get against this Tennessee defense. And that, you know, considering the team that we saw at Florida that was basically taking anything they wanted, it feels like they've come a long way. I, I, it's, it's really amazing uh, among all the numbers um, that we got into in that piece. And I would, I would encourage anybody who has not had a chance to read it, subscribe to The Athletic, take a free trial, whatever you got to do. I, I think you'll learn a lot. Just, you know, I suspected earlier in the season that this Tennessee team was was certainly better than its record. Uh, now I, I think they might be slightly overstated a little bit um, in terms of, you know, uh, exactly how good this team is. But uh, the results have been remarkably different. And, and when you look into these numbers, there's only a few things that have gone a little bit differently and have helped Tennessee get back into it. But uh, I think you got to start with that. With that defense, anything else stand out to you um, about what Tennessee has done uh, over these last five games? Well, th- that's the most probably the most surprising number is is the big plays allowed because you know I think of this defense as a very aggressive defense. Um, you do see defensive backs on islands a lot. I mean, they they bring pressure. That's how Jeremy Pruitt wants to play. So, uh, you know, you would think that there would be more big plays allowed. And I think this probably speaks some to, you know, safety play. But when you look at, you know, why is this defense playing this well? Like, who is standing out? I mean, again, to me, I start with Daniel Batuli. I really, obviously, the freshman Henry Toto has been has been really good. But, I mean, Nigel Warrior, to me, is a guy who I don't know if, like, a switch was flipped or, you know, it just maybe there were a few mistakes early in the season that were glaring. And so you thought he wasn't playing as well as maybe he was on a down in down out basis. But right now I think he's playing at a really high level, like a, like a NFL prospect kind of level. And that probably helps explain it to some extent. Yeah. I think he, when you look at why this team was giving up uh, as many big plays as it did at times last year and, and, uh, and previously, I mean, Warrior had not played well, um, but he has been in the right position. Uh, you know, he, he is, is not going to wow anybody with his measurables, but he's made plays when he's been and had chances to make them. And, and, and you're right, I think Warrior is a, uh, a big reason to, to, point, uh, to point that out. Jalen McCullough has had some nice, uh, some nice plays. Uh, even though you, you consider, too, they've had some injuries back there, um, and they have uh, bounced back from those. But moving on to this weekend... Missouri just looks like a team in, in total disarray, and yet uh, six-point favorites against the Vols. I will say, though, Tennessee, from their perspective, Vegas aside, and I expect that line to move a lot before the weeks uh, before that game kicks off, 
you can't sell a loss as anything other than a really big disappointment, considering where Missouri's at, considering where Tennessee is at. Uh, but for this team, Tennessee, in any road game in the SEC, is that sort of a fair expectation on these guys? Well, again, I, I've I spend some of my Saturdays watching Vanderbilt, David. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, I watched Vanderbilt totally handle Missouri, and, and so, it and you know, look. Watching, I watched a lot of the Missouri-Florida game, and honestly, I, I was really impressed with Missouri defensively for a lot of the game. You know, that, that, that defense really did a good job, kept them in the game, ultimately collapsed under the weight of, <clears throat> you know, an offense that just isn't doing anything right now. Um, I'm, I'm honestly really surprised by that line, um, and yet I agree. Agree with you. I think that line will move a lot. I bet you it's more like two and a half by kickoff. Yeah, but, I would suspect that's probably about right. But yeah, look, I I know what you're saying about SEC road games, but I think at this point, when you consider the Vols' trajectory and Missouri's trajectory, I think this would be a pretty significant disappointment if Tennessee doesn't win this game. Maybe that isn't fair, but but I I just think that's. That's the feeling around both programs. I think that's exactly what the reaction would be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I've talked to some people about this as they've gotten to five and five again. I don't think there's that much difference between six wins and seven wins. If they lose this game and they beat Vanderbilt, you know, people are going to be mad if they lose to Mizzou, obviously. I just think in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big a deal. Seven and five, people will be excited. They'll be wowed. I think Pruitt... He might get some SEC Coach of the Year votes. Uh, I think Ed O is probably running away with that, but I wouldn't be surprised if Pruitt got some shout-out for that um, from, from sort of rebounding this team from where it was early in the season if they go 7-5 and five and finish 5-3 five and, th- and three in the SEC. But um, do you? am I wrong on this? Do you feel like there's a significant – I mean, a significant difference? I do think 5-7, and seven, considering where the team is right now and the games ahead – would be borderline apocalyptic Neyland Stadium, you know, burning to the ground sort of territory. But do you – is there a profound difference in your mind between six wins and seven wins for this team? Well, see, this is where I think the difference is is in your bowl reward. I mean, if you're talking about, you know, Liberty or like Music City range at six and six – or if you're talking about the Gator Bowl at seven and five, I mean that's a, you know th- this is one of those things, David. Like a few years ago, that was always like, well, if you get into a New Year's Day Bowl, you know, the, it's good for recruiting and you get all the attention. And that that has been diminished over the years. I think I think really most bowl games have been diminished to some extent, you know, with the playoff. Uh, but I still think you know you have a little bit more of a showcase, and you have a better opponent. Maybe you would play like, you know, like you'd play probably a pretty decent Big Ten team um, in Jacksonville. You, it's a it's a primetime game, January second, and I think that would be a really nice reward. And I, you know, obviously in Nashville is very easy for Vols fans, but I don't think Vols fans would be nearly as excited about Memphis or Nashville as a destination. So that would be the big difference. And like you said, I think it's just if you if you win both these games, you are absolutely red hot on a roll. And it's just so much momentum, I think, that you can take, especially, of course, if you win the bowl game. 
you know, if you have this loss to Missouri, you know, then that, that changes things a little bit. You're right, bottom line, getting to a bowl game at the end of September seemed ridiculous. So, um, so it, you, you beat Vanderbilt, you still, that's still a heck of a turnaround. But I, I mm-hmm. think there's still a pretty significant difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Well, shifting gears, Tennessee uh, goes up north of the border to Canada on, uh, well, I guess the weekend. Beats a top 20 Washington team. It's early in the season. These rankings don't mean a ton. Uh, is Washington one of the 20 best teams in the country? Time will tell um, how good they are. But time will also tell how good Tennessee is. Um, you know, we talked about Eve Pond's emergence on the uh, Wednesday Eve Pond's cast. We haven't talked a ton about uh, John Fulkerson's improvement, Josiah Jordan-James. Coming into this season, I thought this was kind of a fringe tournament team. I figured they'd probably get there. They were going to improve a lot as the season went along. But you talk about Pond's emergence gives you really a, almost a third guy um, that even if uh, Lamonte Turner, Jordan Bowden aren't playing well, it's not like Tennessee's going to get run. I, I, they can still have a chance. If both those guys go two for 12, Tennessee can still probably win some games if that can happen. I'm not sure anybody thought that was possible, you know, as you sort of projected this season. So they, in my mind, they've gone from a fringe tournament team to now I'm thinking fringe top 20, top 25 team. How, how in are you right now on this basketball team being better than anyone realized? But where do you see this team stacking up? Yeah, well, well, I think that's a heck of a win. That win is going to look good in March. I think I still think Washington is going to be um, one of the best teams in the Pac-12, which I know hasn't. Yeah. They looked you know, doesn't competent. Always. Yeah, that, that that look Quade Green. I mean, Isaiah Stewart's one of the top big men recruits in the country. They play that Syracuse zone, of course, um, and the Vols did a great job against that zone. Obviously, they worked on it. You know, I'm I'm more in on this team because of Pons. I mean, that really is a difference maker. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm sure everybody saw the block he had. If you weren't able to watch that game on ESPN Plus, and by the way, that game should have been distributed better than that. It's a pretty good early season matchup. But, um, you know, I really – like Rick Barnes does not have a lot of depth. He used seven guys in that game. And, and you know, there's another guy they could really use right now. Uh, but I – Really like the starting five, the way Lamonte Turner is playing like a point guard. You know, Josiah James is kind of, he's playing within himself. He'll, he'll make a nice play. He'll hit a three. He, you know, he hit his only three he took in that game. He's got like four assists, five rebounds. He's an all-around kind of Swiss Army Knife player, but he's not, he doesn't overextend himself. He's a smart player. And that's, as a freshman in the, you know, first couple of weeks of competition, that's a really good sign. And Bowden has been red hot. And then you throw in, you know, Fulkerson is... This gangly but really um, effective player in there against most bigs. I think at times that will be a mismatch that will hurt the Vols because he just doesn't. He still, I think, obviously he struggled to put on weight, but he's a really he's a good all-around player. And then now Pons just as a physical presence, but his skill development again. We talked about it last podcast, but it is kind of astounding to see how much he's come on. I mean, last year I really said, like, gosh, jump out of the gym, you know, great, great athlete, you know, obviously powerful player, but just doesn't really seem to really understand how to play and doesn't have great skill. And all of a sudden it's like it's all come together for him. That is a – that's a big deal. And so, I, I, yeah, I think this team will be ranked. 
when the new poll comes out. And I, I agree with you. I, I'm, I'm less thinking bubble. I know it's early and a lot, a, lot, a lot can happen. But that was an impressive win, kind of controlling that game start to finish. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as the, uh, the sports business, I'll go on the other end of that. I think that's how you get people to subscribe to ESPN+. Plus. Put games that should be distributed better. And then people want to consider subscribing yesterday. I think Tennessee fans are going to subscribe to ESPN Plus unless they put those games on there. An interesting strategy, uh, but uh, sadly, this is a Tennessee podcast and not a sports media podcast. An interesting discussion, but um, well, David, y- David, yes. you know that does bring up my, well, my anger. And let's see, what year would that have been? Nineteen ninety-four, when the Duke North Carolina game was on this new wacky channel called ESPN Two. Call your cable provider. Is that still ESPN around? two? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, I believe the, so. The streaming is the streaming is uh, is the is the future. Get used to it, folks. Uh, ESPN Plus is a big part of ESPN's strategy moving forward. I can tell you that. You know, John uh, or Joe, we'll go big picture here. I do television uh, Sunday mornings with uh, Sports Source TV with John Pennington. Uh, we had a fascinating discussion this morning uh, at the very end of the show. I wanted to dive into further on here because I just think it's interesting. His question was, do we, or and by we, I think he means more society, enjoy sports anymore, or do we just like griping about sports? More so fans than media, but some media as well. I will shift the discussion slightly to this, sort of how do you view sports? Um, Joe, and I will, I will start... Um, I am probably what Bill Simmons would call a sports atheist, I think. I, I honestly do not care about any teams and sort of the outcomes. You know, besides my fantasy teams, I just am not emotionally involved in the outcome of really any team on the planet. Uh, I, I tell people that, and people tend, generally don't believe me. I don't particularly care. Uh, but people do get so angry about stuff. I, I'll get angry about, you know, injustice, but it's hard for me to really understand people who get so angry about, like, what some random person thinks about anything. You know, somebody's like, oh... You know, Herb Street is down on, you know, Washington State. Okay, like, all right. I mean, I'll find it interesting sometimes when somebody says something, but angry or whatever, eh, you know, I don't know. I think for me, you know, sports can do many things, mean many things. It has obvious societal impacts. There's great stories. There can be great inspiration. There can be all kinds of interesting things. None of those things, I think, are particularly tied to outcome. But I think for me, at the core... I just kind of see it as my favorite TV show. It's it's entertainment. I like the things in sports that are entertaining, things that I enjoy watching. It's why I don't particularly watch Michigan football very much. I don't want to watch things I don't enjoy watching. You know, when I think back at how I started loving sports, I mean, when I was a kid, you know, growing up in Arkansas, I'm watching and loving Arkansas basketball. It's, it's like the coolest thing I had ever seen. Those guys were amazing. There was nothing like it. Uh, I haven't lived in Arkansas in well over a decade. I don't particularly care about what Arkansas does anymore. But I do think about those times when I think about sort of why I love sports. Going to those games with my dad was something I will never forget. Just like wide-eyed, looking forward to it. And like I said, it was just so amazing. There's just nothing else really like it. But I think for me, you know, people put so much identity in their teams. And I don't really know what to make of it. You know, if their team is bad or their program is bad or their team is good or program is good – says something about them and their life. Reality is it, it doesn't. I think people deep down understand that, but they can't really change that emotional response. You know, how, how do you sort of view uh, sports in your mind as a, as a person who just enjoys the, the sport of it? 
I did not realize we were going to get into such a deep discussion today, David. <laughs> uh, it's a fascinating topic, and it's a bye week, Joe. And uh, you know, that's right. No, it's exactly. Yeah, no. I mean, it's a it's a really interesting topic, and you know, for me, I, I do think that like deep fandom, like has to probably be part of the equation at some point. It certainly was for me. Um, you know, growing up, I I was a kid in Michigan and then moved around a lot. And so I always kind of, that was sort of like home to me was like the Michigan sports teams. And that included Michigan and Michigan State, the Detroit pro sports teams. When you do our job, the fan gets beaten out of you pretty quickly, or, or it should. You know, I, I mean, it really should. I think you do your job a lot better when it does. I mean, I covered Michigan State for a long time, but the emotional detachment to me was pretty easy. Like for me, like if the Detroit Tigers, because I never have really covered baseball when they're good, I I will latch on. And that's sort of a fandom thing going back to, you know, listening to Ernie Harwell or going to Tiger Stadium as a kid, you know, things like that. But for the most part, yeah, it's just, I just enjoy it. I just get excited for great games, great matchups. Um, I mean, I can watch it all day long and just about any sport you could mention and so I mean you know it's just this is a dream job for me but you're right I do think that you know I think in college sports in particular David identity is tied to team performance and it's like it's a comment on your existence Um, I know that you know the Michigan Michigan State rivalry very nasty and you know it's it just gets personal and I know in state rivalries in particular I think it's like that and college football and it's and, and then you have things that happen, like bad things to people. And the reaction of fans, it really bothers me. It's like you're trying to make excuses if it's one of your teams. Or you're, you know, the worst to me is like the fan who's like, you know, you know, get them. You know, th- these people are bad, but it's really just because you don't like the sports team, you know, and they're a rival of your sports team. Yeah, that and happened that a stuff. lot with the Baylor scandal. A lot of the opposing fans oh. who did not like Baylor. Uh, I'm just going to tell you their anger yes. was not centered around social or was not centered around sexual assault victims. <laughs> I will, I will guarantee you that much. Right. It's like the same people. And if it's flip flopped, it's like, well, wait a minute now. Let's just, you know, we don't know what happened or, or you know, it's uh, that stuff really bothers me about sports. And of course the discourse is, I mean, it's, uh, we, we know the forum now makes it a very different situation. It gets fans directly engaged with, sports figures and that can get nasty and out of control and with sports media people it can be bad i think it can be good i think it um i think we get held accountable at times by fans and readers uh because of that and i like the interactions a lot but then sometimes it's like oh my goodness you know i mean some of these people obviously are scary frankly um so i don't know i'm just kind of rambling on and on but I still really love it, and I don't, yeah, my, my rooting, here and there I will root for individuals, David. I don't know if you're the same way, but people I've covered who I really got to like, um, you know, I, I like to see them do well. Um, two people who come to mind would be like Kirk Cousins and Draymond Green, two very overlooked non-recruits who I've covered their entire careers at Michigan State. They they work so hard, and they're, you know, I mean, I liked both of them personally. So, like, I things like that, you you kind of root, I guess, or, or feel good if they do well. But yeah, for the most part, I just root for the story and root for great games. Like, I, you know, the college football playoff is, I can't wait to see how it's going to turn out. And I, you know, I mean, I can't wait for it. You know, for example. So, um, there's my long, long-winded answer. 
<laughs> the here's the the question that I'm not sure I have an answer to is that 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 identity has that changed? Do you think it's always been like that? Where do you sort of stand on that? The idea that people just have so much invested and it's so personal um, for for so many uh, folks. Do you feel like that that it's always been like that and we just didn't know it? And maybe social media is part of that? Or or do you feel like this is something that has fundamentally changed in the last 20 years? Oh, I don't think it's changed at all. No, I I mean... Yeah, I mean, obviously, social media intensifies everything, and but you know, so it, it's that has changed a lot of things. But but the the feeling of identity in your team, oh, I don't, I, I think that goes back decades and decades. I mean, I actually I, I wrote a book about Michigan State football a few years ago and went back to the first win over Michigan in 1913, and you know people taking the train down Ann Arbor and like the absolute insane celebration when they beat Michigan, you know, I mean, I mean like the main barn on campus literally caught fire, you know? So <laughs> like, I mean, it, it, the accounts of this are, it's, it, you know, it's, it's kind of amazing. Even like trash talk in the newspaper, like people with names like bubbles Thompson. And I, we, we will take it to you Saturday, my good lad, you know, like, but like, I mean, all this stuff, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, this is like front page of a newspaper. It's like, you know, uh, World War One, you know, brewing and stuff like that. But this is, uh, you know, these college football teams are completely sweeping up these communities. An entire city of Lansing gathered around the Lansing State Journal so they could uh, bullhorn, like call out the game, thousands in the streets listening to it, you know, so... Now that's fandom, but again, I, I do. I think identity and the and that deep connection and like that's us against you, and this says something about me. Um, I think that's been there for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Well, that ends the existential portion of today's <laughs> episode of PFL. Uh, briefly, uh, I have some food thoughts. Uh, I was in uh, your neck of the woods in Nashville uh, last week for a. TBD project that athletic subscribers will be able to read uh, very, very soon. But I stopped over at, at Butcher and B. I got, I was craving these bacon wrapped dates all trip. Uh, I had to carve out some time. I was kind of busy, I was running around um, talking to folks. But man, these things. So, are you a dates guy? Like, do you like dates in general? Well, I. Yeah, they're okay, but wrapped in bacon. And actually, I was wondering if maybe the bacon wrapped dates, because if you recall, at the Tapas place, we had that, and it was amazing. So I thought maybe that was sort of putting maybe your head. Maybe you planted like, a bug in my brain. Maybe this I is think an inception it... sort of situation. It's possible. <laughs> but, yeah, that's a fa- – I mean, dates – well, anything wrapped in bacon is probably good, but that sweet and true. salty combo is, is very good. The amount of flavor, so you have the sort of the sweet uh, of the date, you have the, the bacon, but then they also have like a balsamic sauce that's like on the bottom, and then mm. they also shave, I, I should know what kind of cheese it is, but it's like little, um, it's like snowflakes basically of, che- of cheese that's shaved over the top. It's, it's amazing. I, I told them, you know, I, was, uh, I ended up eating with a, a source for the, for the story, I ended up eating lunch with him, but I was on my way out of town. I was like, yeah, I told the, the waitress, like I had to stop and grab some, some dates and she's like, so dates for dessert. Right. And, uh, I was like, well, 
Sure, why not? I guess we'll call it that. <laughs> uh, greatly, greatly enjoyed those uh, and my trip to Nashville. And if you are a subscriber to The Athletic, you'll be able to see uh, the fruits of that labor very, very soon. Uh, did you like that, Joe? Did you see what I was going to I, I got you. I, okay. I, I hear you. And those dates right. sounded better than my dates, too, with the sugar <laughs> cheese. My goodness. Well, that will do it for this week's uh, free episode of PFL again. If you like the show, uh, rate, review, subscribe, uh, anything helps uh, for us and bring you more episodes of this show. And you should also subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com backslash PFL. That'll get you 40% off. Make it happen. Uh, Joe, that will do it. Thank you for joining us. Joe, you'll be joining me in Columbia, Missouri this weekend. Should be a very, very fun uh, week. And I'm sure we'll have some, some food tales of some crab rangoon nachos that I will force you to eat this week. So hopefully you can. Ah, I can't wait. I was going to say, we, we can actually in person yeah, uh, test some stuff out. So, exactly. Yeah, so I have a, to it. Listen, it's going to be uh, a lot of food in Columbia this weekend. And, and uh, funny story about Columbia, all their food is nothing costs more than $2. So we should be in good shape. Wow. <laughs> or bad shape. Yeah, one or the other. But that will do it. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you guys again next week.